Hey, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of The Dinner Table with your host, Joe Sheehan. Uh, thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. Uh, and again, um, I'm excited about what we're going to be talking about today. I will do my best to keep it going. Uh, every day for a week, uh, five days a week, we will have our daily conversations around the dinner table. Um, so that being said, today is May, no, excuse me, ooh, I almost exposed myself, that's the problem with being a teacher, you, you forget the days. Today is, uh, the third day of June, 2019, and we're going to be talking about some things that are in the news, um, some things that were in the news but need to be addressed, and all that. So I hope you enjoy today's episode of The Dinner Table. And I hope that we have a good time going through this. The first issue that I want to bring up was something that we weren't able to talk about in the last episode of The Dinner Table, which is the Electoral College and electors. Okay, Uh, Right now, this movement of moving us towards uh, a moving us towards supporting only the national popular vote uh, for the election of the presidency. We kind of been seeing this since 2000, uh, this little pill coming up every now and then. Uh, try, the people of the United States demonstrating their lack of knowledge of the Constitution when they demand that the Electoral College is against their democracy and it's wrong and blah, 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 blah. Well, Article 2, Section 1 uh, establishes the Electoral College and it establishes the electors that each state sends an elector to Congress to vote as their state voted uh, for the President of the United States. And whoever the President of the United States is, as a result of that vote, the, the electors are allowed to vote for that person. Now, there's some interesting things that are going on now that we want to take a look at. For one, we have 16, roughly around 16 states that either have legislation or have passed legislation demanding that their state electors vote for whomever wins the popular vote, whether that person wins their state or not. Now, why, why is that of any concern? Well, the reason why that's a concern is if you actually look at the map of population in the United States, If we were to count solely the national popular vote uh, against Article 2, Section 1 of the Constitution, again, which is a violation of the Constitution, in order to do that, we would have to actually change the the Constitution. And we'll talk about the Supreme Court, because the Supreme Court did rule um, in a case in which um, the state tried to change the qualifications for... Uh, president and the Supreme Court upheld that and said, nope, can't do that. Uh, you have to accept the results. Uh, you have you cannot change, arbitrarily change the requirements to be president uh, in order to receive votes in your state. So again, um, we, we'll come back to that. But looking at the Electoral College, uh, the states that are passing it, why is it dangerous to um, put it all on national vote? Why is it dangerous to put it all on the national popular vote? Okay. Ignoring the fact that the United States was not created to be a direct democracy, ignoring the fact 
that we are not a democracy. And that is something that the American people are woefully ignorant of. The fact that we talk about we'll lose our democracy if something happens. The, the, even people in the news talk about our democracy, our democracy, our democracy. Understand, we are not a democracy, nor were we ever intended to be a democracy. Now, do we use democratic means, i.e., do we vote? Yes, but voting does not make you a democracy. Voting is a democratic means. Suffrage is a democratic tool. It is not a it, it is not in itself a democracy. What is a democracy? A democracy in practice is every single person in the country having a say and voting on legislation, voting on decisions as the country says. Now, in today's technology, could we have a democracy? Yes, we could. We could have a very effective democracy. But why do we not have a democracy? That's the primary, that's the primary question. The reason why the Founding Fathers decided that we didn't want a democracy is they didn't trust the mob. I mean, think about it. The mob is, you know, um, when, you, when you watch an old Western movie, okay, when you watch an old, that's the mob. We call them lynch mobs. Why? Because they're going to go grab this guy out of jail and go hang him. They're going to go lynch him. It's a lynch mob. That's the mob. The mob is with you one minute and against you the next. And the, and the founding fathers, in, in their infinite wisdom, knew that the mob couldn't be trusted. Also, the, in their infinite wisdom, they knew that there was no way that the American people could, in, in the amount of time that they, in the finite amount of time that they had, could know 100% of every issue and know it in, in such a way as to make an um, informed decision. Okay? They knew that they would, just, they would vote their passion. And if, you, and if you don't believe me, look at the way people vote today. First of all, we don't have 100% participation in voting. In fact, most of the time, we have less than 50% uh, participate in voting. Uh, the last time we had over 50% of the voters vote, I think, was um, in the Reagan uh, election. I mean, we, we just simply don't have more. Okay, so there alone, right there, is now you're having decisions made by the minority of the American people for the majority of the American people. And that leads me to the main point of why we have the Electoral College. Okay, think of it this way. If you look at the population centers around the United States and you look at how they vote, and if you break down the electoral votes by county, one of the things that you see is the United States is largely Republican by county. However, the most populated counties are Democrat. All right, we can talk about you know the whole sociology issue of why people who live in large populated centers tend to vote more liberal, tend to vote more progressive or regressive. You know, we can, we can talk about that. All right. But right now, what we need to focus on is in order to demand that our elections are decided by population, you are essentially saying that our elections will be decided by the people who live in New York and L.A., that's what you're essentially saying. New York, LA, Chicago, Houston, okay? That's essentially what you're saying. That those people will decide. Well, what about the what about the votes of the rest of the country? 
Do you think that the people of New York, LA, these large metropolitan centers have the same desires and the same need as the people who live in rural or what, what the elites in this country call flyover country? No, they don't. Okay. And so those people will be woefully ill-represented. That's why we have the electoral college. All right. You have to win the states. Okay, now let's just go into the simple function of governance and why the Electoral College is important for that. Our country was founded as a Federalist Republic. What does that mean? We are called the United States of America, okay? Meaning that each individual state is its own individual sovereign state, okay? And, and when I say state, I don't mean it in the term of like a county. I mean it in the term of a country, Okay, that is the term state means. Okay, these are federalist districts, federalist, federal countries. These are basically countries unto themselves. They have their own duly elected governments. They have their own constitutions. They are, it, it, it's no different than the, honestly, it's no different than the EU. Okay, the United States is no different than the EU other than the fact that the EU itself does not have a military. Okay. The EU is itself a, not a country, it is an economic forum, okay? But to understand what the United States is as a Federalist Republic, you have to understand that each state is sovereign, okay? It's one of the reasons why we have the Tenth Amendment. It's one of the reasons why we have uh, this idea of states' rights is because each state is its own independent. And the, and the Founding Fathers intended that because they wanted the states to be the laboratories of of democracy. They wanted them to be the laboratories of uh, freedom and liberty and, and all of that. So they wanted to give the states power to, to, to function in these regards. But they want, also needed to be able to regulate commerce between them. And so that's why the federal government was created. All right, Because we tried it already with the Articles of Confederation and it created a weak central government, and, and national debts weren't able to be paid off, and it was, a, it was a horrible mess. So much so that they literally committed a coup creating the U.S. Constitution that created the country that we have today. They literally committed treason, again, by creating this Constitution. And yet, because it was so overwhelmingly needed, the American people didn't resist it, they voted for it, they ratified it, boom you have the Constitution. So you're taking the power away from the states. Now, why is that important? That's important because who runs the federal bureaucracy and who interfaces with the federal bureaucracy more than the American people? The states. And the person who runs the federal bureaucracy is the President of the United States. And so these, these states need to be able to select who they're going to interact with. Now, we lose this concept because back in the early um, part of the progressive movement, the, there was a lot of corruption in politics. Um, the state party bosses uh, had a lot of power. Okay? Uh, you had people like Boss Tweed, who was one of the most corrupt uh, political party bosses out of New York City. Um, who ran Tammany Hall. Tammany Hall was ultimately shut down. I mean, these were the guys that, you know, if voting is nice, vote twice. Um, they would go take homeless people off the street, you know, with long beards and long hair. They'd take them in. They'd, they'd take them into one polling place. Um, you know, they would give them a vote. Then they'd go cut his hair. 
take him into another voting place, let him vote, then they'd shave part of his beard, give him a long mustache, take him into another part, go take him back to the other voting place, have him vote, shave off his mustache, shave off his hair, put him in a different suit, take him to the other voting place. You know, they would have one person vote four or five times, each time giving them a shot of whiskey every time they would vote. Okay, so again, this is this is you know vote night. You know vote. Remember to vote and vote often. All right, and this guy supported the Democratic Party of New York. Okay, um, we you know we had people like Mayor Daley in Chicago. We had all the, but I mean that was many years after the you know the early parts of the twentieth uh, century. But what you have to understand is because of that, it, it espoused a political movement to remove the power of the states. Okay to centralize more power in the federal government. And one of the ways they did that was through the 17th Amendment by, t- by requiring the popular election of state senators. Prior to the 17th Amendment, okay, prior to that 17th Amendment, the states decided who their senators were going to be. Why? Because we we're a Federalist Republic. The states needed to have representation in Congress. All right. We have the House of Representatives that are directly responsible and report directly to the American people. Okay, that's your House of Representatives. The other house is the House for the states. Okay, that's why that's why you have state senators. That's why the Senate can check the House is because the Senate was supposed to be the state's voice. Now it's not. Now they represent the people again. And so that's why we have a lot of the issues we have today is because the, the senators are supposed to be taking their orders from the governor of their state, from the legislature of their state. Their state is supposed to be telling them how to vote. Okay, Now that sounds a heck of a lot more democratic than what we have now. Okay, Because now the senators can ignore their home state and vote any way they want. Now we have representation just like we have in the House of Representatives. All right? So again... You know, the 17th Amendment kind of took away people's idea that the states actually have rights, that the states deserve their representation in Congress. All right. And so now we have American we have a movement in America that wants to take away the state's voice in the election process. And we have to resist that. So with these different states that are voting this way, what I'm hoping is that the conservative party in each one, uh, the, you know, whatever, you know, the conservative party, and I don't mean Republican, I mean conservatives. I hope that the conservatives in each one of those states get electors elected and those electors swear that they will vote whichever way the state goes. Okay, because here's the thing. Yes, the state has a right to tell its elector how it wants it to vote. But once the elector gets to Congress, he can vote whatever any way he wants. He does not have to vote. And has that happened before? Absolutely it's happened before. And can the state punish him for doing that? No, they can't. Okay? It would be a violation of the constitutional, of the Constitution in Article 2, Section 1. So, um, so again, this is going to be an interesting constitutional issue. Um, I do not believe that Donald Trump will lose the popular vote this next election. I think he's going to win soundly. Um, because for the first time in American history, we have a president who's actually fulfilling on all of his um, presidential promises. So there you go. So again, um, you know, the Electoral College is 
uh, part is is very wise and very smart uh, part of our constitution. And I know I spent you know about uh, thirteen minutes on this issue, but y- you need to understand it. It's a complex, it's a nuanced issue. You need to understand the history behind it, so that way you can you can talk to your friends that are out there going, "We need to get rid of the electoral college." No, we don't. No, we don't. Because again, if you want your voice, if you are serious about democracy your voice won't be heard. You'll be disenfranchised. Your vote will not even matter. If you don't live in one of the major cities, your vote will not even matter. And so uh, it's, it's, it's a way of us to, you know, avoid disenfranchising uh, half of the country, you know, and, and more. So we need to keep the Electoral College. All right, well, um, the next thing I want to talk about is the royal visit um, by uh, President Trump to Great Britain. Um, Again, we have the special relationship between Great Britain and the United States. And yes, that's what it's called. It's called the special relationship. Okay, Um, and it's because uh, there are there are no greater allies in this country, in this world for the United States than Great Britain, save maybe Israel. Okay, Um, Great Britain. Yes, we fought a revolution. Yes, you know, we, um, we no longer bow to the queen. But you know what? They're still our friend. Okay, we fought two world wars with them. They have helped us tremendously in the international community. Um, they are our friend. They are our ally. Uh, the queen herself um, is, you know, a wonderful woman. She has done amazing things for her country. She has held, held her country together. Um, if you just want to study her, uh, you should, it's a, it's an incredible study on, uh, how to be a good Royal. Um, yes, she has made decisions sometimes that people have not understood, like not allowing, um, William and Harry, uh, to cry at her, their mother's funeral, but understand that was because she, she wasn't protecting the kids. Trust me, those kids cried. They cried at home. She cried when Diana died, but and she was there for them. But she understood that the office of the royals, um, the office of, of royalty, uh, you have to maintain dignity. You have to maintain, you have to be stronger than the normal person. And you have to project that. Uh, and so she's done, a, she's done a very good job running her country. Now, that being said, <laughs> um, you know, uh, if, if President Trump doesn't want to bow, he doesn't have to. He's the American president, nor should he. Um, one of the greatest uh, stories in history is an American at the Olympics in England uh, was marching. They were doing their march, and um, every country ahead of the United States would tip their flag in honor of the king. Well, just so happened that the man in the front was an Irishman, uh, you know, first-generation American, Irishman, and when he walked by the king, he did not tip the flag. And when they asked him why, he says, these colors don't tip for in no man. And so, and, and that's, you know, that's our attitude towards the royals. You know, I, I'll be honest with you. I, I am not obsessed with the royals. The royals, to me, uh, we fought a revolution to get our independence from them. I am not um, a Britophile. I am not an Anglophile at all. Uh, I think that's just because of the way I was raised. I'm, guys, I'm 57% Irish, okay? Um, my one quarter of my family were fresh off the boat Irishmen, 
Um, so again, I'm, I'm not a big royalist. Um, I, I believe in the cause of the American revolution, you know? Um, so do I love British television? Absolutely. Do I love British comedy? Sure. But am I, am I a, um, am I an Anglophile? No, I am not. So, um, more power to, uh, Trump for going and maintaining that relationship. But let's, let's talk a little bit about, you know, the little uppity mayor, Oh, a mayor of London. Oh no, what what consequence does his does his uh, thoughts of our president actually mean? It means squat. Okay, that's like Bill De Blasio saying that the Prime Minister of England is a is a rankish fool. Okay, it it holds no bearing in governance at all. It's just good fodder for liberal media that hates our president. Okay, uh, matter of fact, I tried to watch the BBC News yesterday. I try to watch the BBC News every now and then, you know, because, again, my, my, my passion, what I love to do is in um, international relations, all right, studying counterterrorism, those types of things. And, uh, matter of fact, I'm getting my PhD in public policy with national security emphasis. So, again, you know, it's, it's all about foreign policy. It's all about that. Great, wonderful. The mayor of London doesn't like our president. Well, you know, okay, big freaking whoop. Big freaking whoop. Okay, a mayor of a big city doesn't like a president in the United States. A mayor of a big city in a foreign country doesn't like the president of the United States. Woo-hoo. Now, there is a story, though, that I think a lot of people are ignoring here. I really do. I think a lot of people are ignoring this story. And it's that the president got a new hairdo. Yes. President got a new hairdo. He is rocking a new style. He's trying to look snazzy for the queen. All right. Wouldn't you? I mean, I would want to look snazzy. This, let's be honest. The queen is a snazzy dresser. Okay. She can rock the fashion. All right. You know, and, and here's another thing, too. You know, all of her grandchildren are bald. Her husband was bald. So they're, you know, all, all the grandchildren are bald. And so, you know, Trump going in there with his well-coiffed hair, you know, is going to make, is going to make a statement. And we got to, you know, we got to support that because I mean, the man's looking snazzier. He doesn't look like he's got a, you know, a cat laid up on top of his head and died anymore. He's slicking it back. He's got his, he's got his look. Matter of fact, there's not as much hair dye in the hair either. He's starting to get the presidential gray. Yeah, that's another thing a lot of people don't realize. I mean, look at pictures of presidents after they've served in office for, for four years. They look like they've aged 10 years. The stress of the presidency does that to you. Now, granted, Trump's been pretty cool, okay? Trump's been, I mean, let's be honest. You know, people talked about Obama being the coolest president. He, he might have been cool, in a way, all right, in his nonchalant kind of attitude towards everything. Hey, man, you know, whatever. No, no, Trump's cool, okay? Trump's got got some swagger, okay? Trump, you, you don't mess with Trump, and, and I think that's what bothers a lot of a lot of people is you know these elites out there. You you got to be you got to be scared. You got to walk around scared. You got to be worried about everything. You got no, no, that's not leadership. Trump's being a leader. I love the new quaff. I love the new do. He's looking sharp for for the queen. He's he's going to make an impression. I, I he he has he has that sense of occasion. I love it. I love it, I love it, I love it. I think it's going to be a great state visit. I think it's going to be a great visit 
royal visit to the queen. Uh, screw the mayor of London. All right. The man can't keep his own city state. Um, he's arresting Christians. I mean, the man, the man's ridiculous. Okay. Screw him. He can go do his own thing. And the media who wants to turn this into an international incident, you know, they can go fly a kite. All right. Um, let's talk. Let's, let's go to uh, the next issue that I want to talk about, which is uh, reparations. Oh, oh, whoa, whoa, where'd that come from? We just got done talking about royals. Well, we, got, we, need, we need to kind of touch on reparations. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, um, but this has kind of been an issue in the past. Um, uh, this is an issue that the presidential uh, candidates on the Democratic side, big, big, you know, you know, big surprise there. Um, they want, you know, to go after reparations. Uh, matter of fact, Sheila Jackson Lee, the most inept idiotic, horrible representative ever to be elected, save maybe, um, maybe Maxine Waters or Nancy Pelosi. Those two ladies, you know, they got the cake. Or maybe, um, you know, some of the other people. I, I don't know. We'll, we'll talk about that later. But anyways, Sheila Jackson Lee out of, the, out of Houston. This woman, I mean, this is a, this is a woman who told her constituents to shut up because she was on the phone. She was at a town hall meeting. She was on the phone and she yelled at her constituents to shut up. That should tell you something. This is a woman that when I worked in Washington, D.C., could not hold a staffer for more than six months. Her, the joke on Washington, D.C. was that her, you know, they didn't have a door, a standard door on her office. They had a rotating door, Right. Okay, you know, oil goes round and round. Where it ends, nobody knows. Okay, so again, uh, Sheila Jackson Lee, completely inept person. I don't even understand how she gets elected every election, other than the fact that she represents one of, I think, three uh, pure one of one of three purely African American districts in Texas. And uh, you know, if if you know, if Eddie Bernice Johnson, who represents a purely black district in Dallas, uh, can beat a black Republican preacher the same year she's caught stealing funds from the African-American college fund, the black caucus African-American college fund, and giving it to her own grandkids so that they can go to college. Um, if she can get reelected, that should tell you something um, about these districts, okay? Sheila Jackson Lee is an idiot. Um, there's no denying it. Um, I'm sure she and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez get along very well. I'm sure that is an Algonquin roundtable when they get together uh, and have policy discussions. Uh, I'm sure the crazy is abundant in that office when they do. Um, they're busy one-upping each other, I'm sure. Um, and the snake coiled upon, um, at, you know, Sheila Jackson Lee's head probably lashes out at, uh, the crazy snake eyes of, uh, AOC. That being said, let's talk about reparations. Well, Sheila Jackson Lee sponsored, uh, HR 40, which creates a commission to study whether or not, uh, reparations should be played to um, descendants of African slaves in the United States. Okay. That Piccadillo. Okay. So 
let us not even talk about the fact that uh, many of these people who would be claiming that they deserve reparations could ever point to a slave in their family or even say that they knew a slave in their family. I think the last actual slave uh, died in the 19, I want to say 1950s. Yeah, 1950s. Um, so again, um, very few of them would be able to point to, hey, this is, you know, my ancestor, they were a slave. Um, that being said, so how is this going to work? Well, first of all, uh, anything that comes out of this committee that doesn't do, um, doesn't qualify all American people for this benefit um, and selects one specific group of people to have to pay uh, reparations and have to pay taxes for these reparations um, is going to be deemed unconstitutional, hands down. Uh, for one, let's explain why, okay? Um, in the Constitution, a concept known at, or a, a policy known as a bill of attainder is deemed unconstitutional. The, the Congress cannot pass a bill of attainder, okay? Uh, bill of attainders basically select one person or one group of people specifically for legislation uh, and deprive them of their property. So if this commission comes out with a piece of legislation that says that we have been able to identify the families of all the former uh, slave owners and uh, they are going to be the ones we're going to tax them at a higher percentage in order to pay for these reparations that will be paid out. And this family will then be taxed until their debt is paid. Okay, that's unconstitutional. One, it creates a suspect class of people, which again, the Supreme Court has ruled is unconstitutional. And two, it creates a bill of attainder. Okay, so funding. Okay, then if they say, well, okay, well, then anyone who is white has to pay for this. Well, they're not going to be that specific, okay? Because again, that, that would then fall under racism and you can't do that. So, so any reparation bill that does not put the entirety of the American people on the, bill, on the foot for the bill is itself a bill of attainder. Okay, now let's talk about the complete injustice of such a bill. The African-American people will be paying for their own reparations, do you see that? Okay. Do you see what's going on here? All right. So again, you have, you have that issue. You also have the issue that the Japanese Americans who lost their livelihoods during World War II were never paid back by the federal government. And in fact, in Korematsu, it was deemed that the federal government didn't have to pay them back. So what about them? What about the Native Americans? You know, what about the genocide committed against the Native Americans? The, you know, what about them? Do they get reparations? All right. So, and then do we discount the reparations based on what a life costs for the tens of thousands of Union soldiers who died, white Union soldiers who died as a result of uh, the Civil War fighting for their freedom? So do we discount it by, by based on their life? Okay. Um, 
so you begin to see how reparations is a very slippery slope. Now, it's incredibly popular in the African-American community, and I wonder why. I mean, for crying out loud, if someone came up to me and said, hey, we're going we're gonna to pass, pass a bill, uh, we want to we wanna put a bill in the Congress uh, that will allow Congress to repay the Irish for all of the evil things that happened to them as a result of Irish need not apply. And all people of Irish descent deserve reparations based on that. And also based on, we will, we will take England to the international court for their crimes against the Irish people during the uh, potato famine. Do you think I'm going to be against getting some free money? No, free money is awesome. So you see what I'm saying? It's incredibly popular in the African-American community. Because why? Because the Democrats have spent the last... Oh, 40, 50 years developing this victim ideology uh, of the of the African-American people in, in basically telling them that the government owes them because they're black, because their families were slaves. Well, how do they even know that their family were slaves? Because not every African-American that's in this country is a descendant of, of, of a slave. Some of them are descendant of freemen. That were free from birth, okay? That immigrated here to this country from Africa, all right? Not all of them are former slaves. Some of them, their families immigrated here to this country from the Caribbean, where they weren't slaves of America, okay? So again, how are you going to prove all this? There's, it's, 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 it's a massive scale. It's, 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 it's spending money that doesn't need to be spent. And it is a complete and utter unconstitutional effort. We can't do it. We can't do it as a country. It's unconstitutional. But also, too, there's, there's something beyond just the Constitution in this regards to reparations. Okay? And it's this concept of holding people accountable for the sins of their fathers. All right? That's unjust. Matter of fact, there are no laws in the books anywhere where a child must account for the crimes of the father, or the crimes of their parents. In fact, even in civil cases, children are not responsible for the debts of their parents. Okay? They're not responsible. So it's because their parents who were adults at the time that they made those decisions, made those decisions, okay? And you can't hold, it's, there's, there's an innate injustice in that. And if you're really interested in justice, which I really believe a lot of these social justice warriors are not really interested in justice. Because justice brings justice to both sides. Do you see what I'm saying? That's why, that's why the, the statue of justice is blind. And, and her weights are even, right? It's because we are all equal on an injustice. And so in order to pursue justice, both sides have to be justly treated. And a lot of times when you look at social justice warriors and you look at what they advocate for, it's not justice, it's revenge. And in revenge, injust injustice occurs in revenge because you treat the other side unjustly. And that's, and that's what we're dealing with here. Reparations, was slavery evil? Absolutely. Is slavery still evil? Absolutely. 
But there's also an inaccurate statement. Slavery was not the United States' original sin. Slavery has been around since humanity has been around. Okay? And it is not America's original sin. At all. At all. Okay? And in fact, we fought a war where thousands and tens of thousands of American soldiers died to ensure that it didn't happen again in this country. Okay? Were people harmed? Were families harmed? Yes. Was the black family in America destroyed as a result of racist policies in in our government, as a direct result of the South losing the war? Yes. And those injustices have been solved. Many of them have been solved. Are you going to eradicate racism from the face of the planet? No, you're not. But guess what? You have a justice system that if someone does something to you based on the case of rape, or race, you can sue them. You can get recompense. So we have a justice system today that is poised for that. If you notice also, too, the reason why reparations hasn't gone to court is because the statute of limitations has expired. So the only way that they can do this is through legislation, and the only way they can do it is through idiots like Sheila Jackson Lee. I mean, my God, guys, just study Sheila Jackson Lee. Just look at the inanity of that woman. Ugh, she's an idiot. All right. So uh, that touched on reparations. And uh, now I'm going to end with uh, something that is interesting. In the, in the next, matter of fact, I think today or tomorrow, uh, the World Cup begins. And the U.S. Women's, the Women's World Cup. And the defending champions, the U.S. women's national team, are going to be playing uh, to defend their title. And as Americans, we should be proud. Okay, As Americans, we should be giving a full-throated support behind our women's team. They have worked hard their entire lives to get there. Um, and it is, it is going to be fun to watch them play. That being said, there are two members of the team that are ruining for, for everybody, in my opinion. Uh, you have Rapino and you have Alex Morgan. Rapino refuses to salute the flag. All right. And Alex Morgan has announced that if the women's national team uh, wins the World Cup again, that she will not go visit President Trump. Okay, here's the thing. All right. That's, that's all well and good. But. If you can't salute your own nation's flag and you're on the national team, you need to go find another job. It's different when it's Colin Kaepernick playing for the San Francisco 49ers. Okay, he's a professional athlete. He's playing for a professional team. Okay, he can choose to do that. But when you are in representing the United States, you do not use your position on a world stage to embarrass the United States. Now, you can use your position to have a say. You can say whatever you want to say. You can say, this is me. This is who I am. You can use that position to have a world uh, say. And a matter of fact, you should use that position. But when the national anthem plays for your country, you stand 
you put your hand over your heart and you sing the lyrics. And if you don't know the lyrics, that's fine. But you stand in respect to your country who gave you the opportunity to play on such a stage. Okay. The next thing is Alex Morgan saying she doesn't want to go to the... And in a lot of athletes, this seems to be really popular. If I don't like the president, I'm not going to go visit him. And I've thought about this a lot because I know that, you know, I did not like President Obama. I thought President Obama was a horrible president. I still think he was a horrible president. And I'll be honest with you, I think he, I think he was more sinister. I think we dodged a bullet with Obama. I really do. I, I'm so thankful we have uh, term limits for presidents. Because it, I just, I look at Obama and I, you know, I, I, I honestly, I don't even think he ran the country. I think his czars ran the country. Um, I think he got there to be more of a figurehead than anything else for the, the radical left. But that's just me. But had I been an athlete who won the World Series, won the Super Bowl, um, won the World Cup, would I have gone to the White House, shook the man's hand, ha- tried to have a conversation with him? Absolutely. It's an opportunity for me to go and speak with someone I disagree with. It's an opportunity, but, but more than anything, it's an opportunity for me to go to the White House and to be honored by my president. Okay? And I think what we have here is we have, a lot of, we have a lot of people who don't understand what it means to have a sense of occasion. This was something that, and I think it goes back to the fact that we don't learn manners anymore. We don't have manners we don't, we, don't, we don't know how to conduct ourselves in public. We don't know how to conduct ourselves at a dinner table. We don't know how to conduct ourselves in given situations. We don't have a sense of occasion. When is, if, you are, if you are a professional athlete and you win the top prize of your sport, when is the next time you're going to do that? And is your political ideology worth the opportunity to have a picture of you and your team in front of the White House and have the national news media and the president speak wonderful things about you. You ever going to get that opportunity again? But instead, you're willing to sacrifice all of that for a perceived slight. And here's another thing, too. Are you ever going to get another opportunity to have an audience with the president? Are you ever going to be able to call up the president and say, Hey, Mr. President, I'd like to come talk to you about something. Are you? No, you're not. And so this idea that you're going to just sit it out because you disagree with a man's policies or you disagree with a man personally is ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. It's absolutely infantile. And if you cannot full-throatedly be pro-American and be in a position to represent this country on a global scale, I don't believe that you deserve a right to be there. I don't. There are other young ladies out there who are just as talented as you are that aren't getting a shot because you're in that position. And I think you need to step down. I think you need to walk away. If you want to make political statements, go be, go be a politician. If you, go, you know, go be an organizer. Go do those things. But don't use your position on the national team of this country to embarrass this country. Because that's essentially what you're doing. 
All right, guys. Well, we've covered the four issues that I wanted to talk about today. Um, I think we had a good time. I think this is a good um, podcast. I think it's going to enjoy a lot of people. Um, Again, guys, uh, do your best. Listen, share, uh, let people know what's going on. Uh, The dinner table is going to be something hopefully I can do every day. Um, I'm going to try to talk about things that are going on. And uh, so just give us a listen. Thank you very much. And uh, guys, have, have a great rest of the day and enjoy your time with your family when you get home.